Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You may be seated. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that we are people who have been greatly blessed. We see that played out in different ways. We see that in different circumstances. We would attest that we have been blessed in, in ways different as we spoke among ourselves about it. But we would, we would come, I think, if we were honest, to the conclusion that we have been blessed. That God has blessed us as a nation. God has blessed us as His people. God has blessed us abundantly by giving us hope and salvation in Christ. And so we have been greatly blessed. But with a great blessing also comes great responsibility and great stewardship. And we as Christians have a responsibility to take the things that God has given us and use them in a wise manner. We think about that with our time. We think about that with our finances. We think about it with our money. We think about how God has, has imparted to us these things and then made it necessary or required of us, asked of us, to be good stewards of those things. Well, when we, when we think about this passage that we're reading here, we don't think about it as a passage on stewardship. And I don't want to make it out to be something it's not. But we have been told here that the people of God were given something great and then told that because they had been given something great, there was a great responsibility that they needed to take because of what they had been given. So because God has given him these commands going all the way back into chapter 5, back to the Ten Commandments, back to the commands that we saw last week about the Lord their God being one and loving the Lord their God with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their might. There's a, a stewardship that comes with that. And we need to understand that stewardship because God has not only given us something great in giving us His command, He's not only given us something great in giving us His Word, but then he gives us responsibilities with those things. They're not simply to be a cognitive exercise where we hear what God has said and we, we hold it within our mind and we think about it and we think about how nice it is and, and we know it in that we could repeat it if called upon to do so. It's more than that. Unfortunately, that's how many people adopt and, and live out their religion is by knowing some things that they have learned, about some things that they have heard and they, they know them in their mind, but they, they, they don't act on those things. They don't do anything with it. Again, that's a pattern that we see in our world, in our culture, with our stuff. People have money, but they don't use it for good. In fact, quite often the opposite. People have a talent, maybe it's singing, and they, they don't use it for the positive, they don't use it for good, and I'm not even talking about specifically Christian good, but in, in general. They have time, we all have a certain amount of time, but often aren't using it well. How much more responsible are we then for taking these commands that God has given us and using them well. And that's what I want us to see this morning in our time together. I want us to see five stewardships 
that we have, five stewardships that we have because of the commands that God has given us. Five stewardships that become our responsibility when we are imparted the commands of God. He tells us these in these verses. He begins in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The first stewardship that we must take of the Word of God once we receive it is to put it in our heart. Put on, he says, on your heart. There has to be this transfer that takes place between simply knowing it, knowing the facts, and having it in our heart in a way that it impacts our life and is expressed to others. You think about math. I like math. Some of you don't like math. Some of you are not excited that I've made a school reference and we're not there yet. But it's coming. You've got to be ready. I'm trying to get you back in that mode. When you think about math, math is not a heart exercise. Now, some people have this, this love of math and they want to teach it and then it becomes this heart thing. But, but math is primarily about about facts, right? And you, you've got to learn some basic things. You've got to learn some addition. You've got to learn subtraction. And then it builds on to multiplication and division. And then you can go up from there. And then you can begin to learn things that are just well beyond my scope of understanding. But math is about your head. And, and one of the things I like about math is it's about things working together, right? And, and things making sense. And being able to take these things and these items and you add them together and they're always going to be this, you know, they, it just works. We see that with, with some other things, but they're head. They're, they're in your head. You just got to learn them. You just can't make them up. You just can't come up with something. It's, you know, it's not like literature where you can go in and you can really explore different concepts. And, I mean, it's, it's two and two and you've got to start there and you've got to build from that. But a lot of people try to do that with their, their understanding of God and they make it all about some rules and they make it all about some knowledge that they have and some verses that they have memorized, but there is no transfer from that knowledge in their head to knowledge in their heart. And when, when you have something in your heart, it's something that you will act upon. It's something that will move you. It's something that will drive you. I'm fairly certain that there will be a number of students when school starts back in a few weeks that will not be motivated when they wake up in the morning by math. Now, again, elementary, middle, high school math, just knocking it out of the park. I could go to a math class if it was good, but I'm a little different. The rest of you want to skip math class, right? You want to avoid it. It's not what motivates you. And unfortunately, if we, if we treat our, our religion, if we treat our faith like that, we, we won't be motivated by it. We won't be motivated by simply memorizing some things, knowing some facts about God. He, he says it needs to be transferred here. You've, you've heard these things said. I've, I've given you these commandments. I've now given you some new commandments and statutes about the Lord being one and about you loving Him with all of your heart, soul, and your mind. But it's, it's got to go from simply you knowing that that needs to be the case to you actually understanding it and then it, it impacting you and it causing you to act in life. This is what God's commands have to do for us. You can't simply know that God said not to murder. That, that's got to come out in your life. It, the opposite of that comes out as you, are, as you are not hating people, but loving your neighbor as yourself. It can't be enough that the Bible says, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Those things have to then come out in our life. We have to realize that everything is God's. We have to realize that our heart must be fully committed to our spouse. We have to realize that truth is the most important thing that we can say. There has to be this transfer. 
And friends, you and I are not being good stewards of God's Word if we have not taken the things that we know, so the things that you hear on a Sunday morning, the things that you hear preached on the radio, the things that you hear when you read your Bible, those things that that you know facts about, and transfer them into your heart where they become actionable items in your life. If you don't do that, if you don't do that, then you're not being a good steward of what God has given you. It's like when you meet someone that you know that you're going to fall in love with. We were having this discussion with someone on our team. They were talking about their timeline for relationships. And I said, listen, I met Rachel. Three months later, put a ring on her finger. 51 weeks to the day after I met her, I married her. Twelve years later, we're still doing good. That's my timeline. Maybe it's not yours. But there was a point where it had to go from here to here, right? And, and what happens if you're in a relationship and there's never that, that transfer from, well, you know, I know in my mind I like this person to, this person has captured your heart. They dump you eventually, right? And you go back to being single, living in your parents' basement. That's what happens, correct? They get tired of putting up with it. Maybe you can stretch it out a little while and she'll put up with it, guys, for a little while. But eventually, no ring back in mama's basement. That's how it works. That's the progression. So think about that. But that's what we try to do in our relationship with God. We try to have this head knowledge and and try to act like we are religious and act like we have some answers to some things, but we never make that transfer from our head to our heart. When the command itself said, love the Lord your God with all of your, what? Your mental, rational thinking, correct? No, he said he started with your heart. And that's where we have to go. And friends, if you've not made that transfer, you're not being a good steward of what God has commanded you to do. You're you're never going to fully embrace His Ten Commandments. You're never going to fully embrace the grace that is available in Christ when it tries to be an entirely mental action with you. And some of you are wired that way, where everything is mental, everything is cognitive. And I understand that. And that's not a bad thing. But when it comes to our relationship with God, it can't all be here. Now, I don't want to encourage you to be a dumb Christian where you never want to know and it's all about my emotional relationship with... No, no. God gave you a mind for a reason. In fact, you're told in the New Testament to take on the mind of Christ. But friends, it can't stay here. We've got to have that that passion in our heart that drives us to follow out the commands of God. That's the first stewardship we have. There's a second. We see it in the first part of verse 7. He says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. So after there is this transfer in, in your life from your mind to your heart, there been, then becomes the stewardship, the responsibility of teaching others about the commands of God. Remember here, he's talking to the collective of people that are gathered there. So it's not just from one parent, okay, your responsibility as parent one is to teach this to your child one and two and however many you have. But he's talking to the group as a whole, and he's telling them, here is your responsibility. You need to digest the things of God into your heart. You need to put them there. They need to come out. They need to overflow out of your heart. And then you need to teach them diligently to the next generation. And if you do not do that, then there's ultimately going to be terrible consequences for that. So do you realize that if, if you have this great relationship with God and it's, it's really bubbling over in you, it's, it's coming out because you have, you have moved from simply a rational, mental exercise of thinking about God and, and now God is real in your heart, His commands are overflowing out of your heart and you never teach that to anybody. What a tragedy that is. Now as a parent, your first responsibility is to do what? Is to invest those things into your children. To teach them to remind them, to do whatever it takes so that they know, one, the things of God in their head, but also so that those things can begin to grow in their heart. 
Maybe you say, well, I don't, I don't have any children. Well, they run all around here all the time. There's a lot of them. I mean, this line was a little bit short this morning. Half the time it goes back to the second window. I mean, there's plenty of kids running around here. Find one. Teach them about God, but, but even, not necessarily even better than that, but, but in addition to that, show them with the way that you live that Christ is real both in your head and in your heart. That, that you have heard His commands and that they instruct and direct your life. It's one of the hardest things about being a pastor. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes I get upset with you guys. I say that as a collective too. And I have to be careful that I don't go home and my children get the impression that church is just the place that daddy works at. Have any of you ever went home and complained about the place you worked at? A lot of your teachers, you ever not liked your principal at least on a particular day? Or year, or decade. Some of you do. Other, some of you are your own boss, and so you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, and you don't like the boss very good that morning. <laughs> well, this is my job, right? I mean, it's where I get a paycheck. So, so I'm prone to do that too. I'm a human being. Sometimes, just have a bad week, have a bad day, whatever it is. And I have to be careful that I don't go home and the impression that my children get is, well, this is what church really is. It's a place where daddy goes and he gets stress. You know, we went to Eichert and daddy had brown hair and now some of daddy's hairs are starting to get gray. Is this what church does to people? It's possible. See, I'm keeping these sides cut short because that's where they're coming in at. When your children look at you, and the children of our church look at you. Do they get the impression that your knowledge of God has went from your head to your heart and is overflowing out of you? Are they being taught that by mom and dad when they leave here? Are they being taught that clearly when we have Sunday school, when we have Kingdom Kids, when we have Vacation Bible School? What great opportunities for us to diligently teach our children the commands of God. Because they need to know them. Because, friends, they're not getting them anywhere else. We could have godly teachers in every classroom in a four-county area, and it would still be the responsibility of us here at the church to teach our children the things of God. It's not the responsibility of our math and science teacher. It's not the responsibility of their Sunday school teacher. It's, it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility, it's our responsibility as a church to teach the children diligently the things of God. And if we waste that, then we are not being a good steward of that time. Because the statistics are bearing out more and more that children, when they grow up, when they go through youth group or they go through their teenage years, and they go out on their own, if they have not been diligently taught the things of God, they often depart never to return. Now, that doesn't start senior year of high school. If you wait till then, it's too late. That starts from the beginning. That starts from the day they are born. And you've got a 15 to 18 year window. And after that, there's not a lot of chance. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. We're dealing with, we're back to the head thing, we're dealing with numbers. It, it's not like it. And so we must be diligent in the way we teach them. We don't just teach them. He throws in the extra word here, he throws in diligently because we need to be careful what we teach them because, friends, we will teach them something. If I go home every evening and I'm frustrated with being a pastor and really fed up with church and that's what I show to my kids, I have taught them something. If your children watch you fight all the time, you're teaching them something. If your children watch you cheat people out of their money, if your children watch you be a bad citizen in the community, you've taught them something. <laughs> they pick up on all of it. So we have to be diligent. We have to be diligent 
and what we are teaching them. And it must be the commands of God. They need to be on our heart. We need to teach them. And there's a third stewardship. We see again at the end of verse 7. So you're to teach diligently to your children. And he says, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You're to talk of them frequently. If you want to be a good steward of the commands of God, the commands of God need to be things that you talk about frequently. He says when you're sitting at home, that's when you need to be talking about them. When you walk on the way, in other words, when you're out and about, you need to talk about the things of God. When you lie down at night, you're laying there next to your spouse, you're about to go to sleep, you're sitting on the couch watching TV before you go to bed. Do you ever talk about the things of God? When you wake up in the morning, if you feel like I do, or I did when I woke up this morning, I was hoping that the Lord would just take me. That pickaxe and auger and, I don't know, it was at least 150 degrees yesterday in Shelby. They have a different climate than we do here, I think. Just, Lord, please take me on. I don't, you don't need me here anymore. Is your conversation seasoned with the things of God? Because it's easy to talk about anything else. Some of you that like sports know, you and I can go and have like a 12-hour conversation on why people hate on Cam Newton and why they're wrong. For days, I can... There's sports I've never even watched before, but if I can get like three or four rules down, I'll have a conversation with you about it because it's sports. But do we have that same passion when it comes to talking about the things of God? Talking about what He has called us to do. Talking about what He has done for us. Because see, if not, then we're not being good stewards of His command. I don't want my kids to think that I love football more than I love Jesus. What a, what a bad thing to teach them. I, I don't want my kids to think that I love complaining about whatever more than I love Jesus. If someone was to come and view your life from the outside having no interaction with you, just watching, just listening to what you said, what kind of impression would they get about your experience with God based on the conversations that you had with other people? What, what, would, they, what would they think about what was most important in your life based on the conversations that you had day in and day out with your spouse and your children and your coworkers and your friends? What, what, what impression would they get if, if an alien was to come down from Mars and their, their spaceship was to view our church, and they, they looked and they said, we're going we're gonna to base our understanding of the world on First Baptist Iker. And we're going to get destroyed like an Independence Day, I'm sure is what's going to happen. But they're probably going to firebomb the whole place. But if they come down and they're, and I don't believe in aliens, by the way, I guess I need to clarify that, but they're, they're watching what we do as a church and they see our conversations they hear our interactions with each other, with the people that we see in the world every day. And they go back and they do a report. What's going to be at the top of their list on our priorities? See, when, when I'm seeing this and I'm thinking about it, I'm not excited about what the report's going to be for me. You know, God, God's going to appear on there. He's going to be on the list. You know, they talked about this God fellow. But where's it going to be at? Moses, as he's telling the people, he says, you've been given these great commands by God. God has given you these ten commandments. He has told you that the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. He's, he's told you these things, and now you need to go and talk about them. Because how are you going to have a society that is going to be built on the commands and foundation of God if you never talk about Him? How are you going to build this society that God has envisioned for you where He is your King, you are His people, He gives you this promised land, but you never talk about Him. 
You don't talk about them when you're at home. You don't talk about them when you're walking around going other places. You don't talk about them uh, before you go to bed. You don't talk about them when you get up. You just don't talk about Him. You don't talk about His commands. Friends, if we do that, if, if someone was to view our life and see our priorities and understand who we were, if God is not that priority in our life, if we are not talking about Him, if we are not sharing news about Him with other people, we need to understand we're not being good stewards of His commands. If you can't sit down and have a five-minute conversation with someone, about God. I'm not talking about a lost person, another Christian about God. You've got a stewardship issue. Try it. Spend five minutes and talk about talk about God with your spouse. Talk about God with your kid. That ain't have to be just talk talk about a little a Bible story if that's your starting point because it's awkward to you because you've not done it. Some of my richest conversations here have not been about football, but when someone gets interested in some aspect about God and we get to talk. Friends, I went to seminary forever to be able to have those conversations. And it's it's great. Because I've never left one where I hadn't learned something and I felt like the other person had a deeper understanding of whatever it was. Let's talk about God. It's a stewardship that we have been entrusted with. The fourth thing. Verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He says you shall bind them as a sign publicly. If you want to be a good steward of the things of God, there must be a public expression of your faith. Now friends, we are, and you may not know this, some of you are members of our church, some of you are, are not members, you're just visiting with us, but we are an evangelical church. When the person calls you to take the survey of who you're going to vote for for president, one, I don't care, and they're not going to like my answer on that one. But when you get down further and they do those demographic things, you should be identifying yourself as a born-again Christian. So you're not, you know, one of these mainline people. You're not out here, these churches this morning, where they're getting a little pep talk to feel better. You're, they're getting their ears tickled and they're all really lost, but, but they'd like to go to a church because it's a social organization. This is an evangelical Southern Baptist church where we believe in being born again. There's a difference. But part of being a born-again evangelical Christian is that you're saying you're a person who has a public faith. You don't have a private faith. There's no private faith in the Bible. You can go find that in some other religion, but it's not in the Bible. The people in the Bible have a public faith. In fact, a lot of them lose their life because they have a public faith. They would stand boldly on the street corner and say, I am a Christian, even if it means I'm going to die. They would stand up in front of the king of wherever they lived and say, you can put me to death today, that is fine, but I believe in Christ, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, and through him I have salvation. Again, even if it means you put me to death. So that is the baseline, okay? That's not super Christianity. That's the baseline, is a public faith. And here's the interesting thing, that's not just a New Testament concept, because it's right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he tells them, hey, the commands that I've given you, you are to display them and own them publicly. So a, a private faith, that's, that's fine that you have a faith in your private life and that you are, you are devout in your private life and when you're on your own, but you need to understand that our faith is a public one. So if someone at work asks you if you're a Christian, you say yes. Not, well, think about saying yes, or is it going to hurt their feelings? The Lord has told you to be a person of public faith. And friends, if you want to know what's wrong with our country, 
Don't go blaming the politicians. Blame people who wanted to be private Christians. That's the problem. And I'm not... Putting it on your Facebook page is nice and everything. And the memes, most of them are not theologically correct, but okay, you didn't have the conversation with me. You could have had, and I could have told you that. But, but friends, as you go, as you're walking around, you know, he said when you're at home and as you're going and before you go to bed and when you get up in the morning, yeah, public faith. He says to them, you're going to display these on the doorpost of your house. He says you're going to put them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. Friends, there are people who are Orthodox Jews who literally wear the commands of God in special devices on their forehead and in their hand so that it's clear to other people who they follow. I'm not telling you to go this afternoon and get John 3.16 tattooed on your arm. Be public about your faith. Because it's the only way to be a good steward of it. Refuse to do anything that causes you to compromise the name of Christ. Refuse to do it. And I don't care if it's the government that tells you to do that. You need to understand that. The government is not more important than Christ. They can't tell you. They can't make you Lose your conviction on what Christ has done for you and what he has commanded you to do. You say, well, you can put me in jail. Okay. If you all do that and we all go to jail together, one, the government will now pay for my food. So you don't have to pay me anymore because we're all in jail. We can have church together seven days a week because you've got nowhere else to go because you're in jail. Friend, it doesn't sound too bad, does it? We'll get our own cell block. Y'all can spruce it up some. Some of you ladies know how to really decorate and get things going. Besides, it'd be nicer than it was in here before we had air conditioning, wouldn't it? I mean, the prisoners get air conditioning. Do not be ashamed of the public display of your faith. But also, in the public display of your faith, do not embarrass the name of Christ. So don't go around all week telling everybody, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a member at First Baptist Biker. And then act just dumb and rebel against God and sin against Him. If you're going to do that, tell them you're a Methodist. Don't tell them you go to church here. But friends, live it out consistently. Live it out consistently. What would you think if you heard that as I was coaching football down at the rec department, that all I did was ever cuss out those little kids? I mean, every day, every five-year-old that dropped the ball, I just cussed them up and down. Would you be upset about that? Okay. Well, you shouldn't do that either then. Not saying y'all cuss out five-year-olds, but think about that. You know what I tell all the new employees that we hire here for the daycare? I sit down with every single one of them. I interview every single one of them, and I tell them this. If you ever have a question about whether or not you should be doing something, ask this. If the preacher did it, would people at church get upset with him? I say, if, if your answer to that is yes or you're not sure, don't do it. Because I will fire you. Isn't that, a, isn't that a pretty good? That's a pretty good policy, I think, for the workers here. Maybe you should do that. Would I get upset if the preacher did this? Now, not upset because I'm whiny, but upset because he was doing something wrong. That's a good example, right? Or what? even better, if Jesus did that, would he still be Lord and Savior? Would he still have qualified to die on the cross for my sin? Isn't that the standard? Christ is the perfect standard of perfection. So sometimes we need to look at that and go, I shouldn't be doing that because if Jesus had done that, he couldn't be my Savior. We must have a public faith. We've got to be responsible and good stewards with that faith. Because if not, instead of boosting the name of Christ with our public faith, which is what our public faith is intended to do to bring glory and honor to Christ, instead we shame the name of Christ. We bring shame upon His kingdom. We hurt the cause of Christ. So a public display of your faith is dangerous because at some point you're going to slip up. 
at some point you're going to be you're going to fall in hypocrisy so we've got to be careful but god has called us to a public faith and one we should not be ashamed of and i wonder how it is that we think that we can be ashamed of christ in this life but one day he'll stand before the father and not be ashamed of us public sign and then the fifth the fifth stewardship verse 10 and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not feel and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The fifth stewardship is that you shall not forget the commands of God when you have everything you need. The fifth stewardship is that you shall not forget the things of God when you have everything you need. You know, when we get desperate... We do things maybe we wouldn't normally do. And there's a number of people that when they get desperate, they get very religious. When they get to that low point, and, and I, I think God does this purposefully. I don't, I don't think it's just some type of, of psychological thing for them. I, I think God does this. Sometimes God brings us very low so that we realize our dependence upon Him. I mean, sometimes he takes it all away so that we see that. We see that in the story of Job. Job was faithful both before and after. Job was, Job was not uh, unfaithful to God when he had an abundance, but, but God takes it all away. And Job is stripped down to nothing. I mean, he has no health. He has, his family's gone. His wife has given him terrible advice. His his things have been looted and destroyed, and he is at the point of complete dependence upon God. God doesn't even give him the answers that he wants. God just tells him, I'm faithful, and that's got to be enough. And there's a lot of people that when they get to that point, when they, when they get to that low point in their life, they, they at that point will, will turn to God and, and, and follow him. But what unfortunately happens too often is that person that in their desperation cries out to God, God, I've got nothing, I need you, God, I, I have nothing to offer, God, please, please help me, please take care of me. When their fortunes turn around, they, well, you know, I, I, used to, I used to play golf on Sundays, but then I didn't have any money to do that. But God's blessed me with the money again, so I guess he's wanting me to go back to playing golf on Sundays. That's their example, right? God's given me, God, you know, God's restored this in my life, so I, I don't need Him for that anymore. Thanks, God, for, for getting me going. Thanks, God, for helping me pick myself back up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on. Thanks for your help. Remember, these people have just come out of slavery in Egypt. They literally had nothing. They were, they were bond slaves. It was even to the point when Moses is born that, that the Egyptians are killing off the, the, the men because they're becoming too many Egyptian, I mean, too many uh, Jewish people, too many Hebrews in the land, and they're afraid that they're going to take them over. So they, they had come out of slavery, and God reminds them here at the end, now, you're going to go to this place that's going to be awesome. I've made it so for you. You're going to go in and take over these cities that you didn't build, and you're going to all of a sudden have a great city. And you're going to have these houses, and you're going to have these vineyards, you're going to have all these things that I'm just going to give you, things that I have promised you. I'm going to bring you out of this place where you're wandering around through the wilderness with nothing, and I'm going to give you a great nation. And when I do, don't forget me. When I give you all of this stuff, don't forget who brought you here. When, when I give you all these things, don't forget the commands that have made this possible. Because I promise you that when you forget those commands, all this stuff will go away. Friends, look at the history of the church in the United States of America over the last 65 years. 
Did we not get to the point in the 1950s? Well, most of you don't even remember this, but we did. We got to the point in the 1950s where the church was booming, where everybody went to church on Sunday, where everything was going great. Our nation was being greatly blessed. We had just come out of World War II. Our economy was turning around. Things were going well. People were building homes and families. People had money and wealth. And then what happened? Well, we got all this stuff. All our boys got back from, from fighting in Europe and fighting in Japan. Everybody had an abundance. Church really took off. People were, were, were happy. People were family-oriented. And then, what? We got complacent. We had all we need, and so we don't need God anymore. Our church is very unique in this, but go to most churches around us this morning. It's, it's only those people who had that dependence upon God before, those people that are now 70 and 80 and 90 years old, that they were dependent upon Him before they ever had anything, and they've stayed so. They were dependent upon Him back when they had nothing, but look, we've got all this stuff, and now their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are just accustomed to this country having everything we needed, having all these blessings from God, but they never really looked to Him. When God blesses your life is when you need to become more dependent upon Him. It's when you become more dependent on what He has to offer. But unfortunately, what we often do is we turn our back on Him when we don't need Him for something. We treat God, we treat Jesus more like He's a, a genie in a lamp and we, we can make a wish and try to get it. And once we get it, we, we want the genie to go back in the lamp and we want to put Him back on the shelf and we'll come back and, and talk to Him again when we need something. But when everything's going well, we don't really think about it. That's when we don't become good stewards of His command. That's why the Bible says it's very difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. Because he, he doesn't look out at life and see that there's any room for God to improve what he has. Friends, if we want to be good stewards of what God has given us, we must not forget his commands when we have everything that we desire. Because friends, that is the pattern for the nation of Israel. God brings them into the promised land he gives them these great cities. He gives them these great homes and these great vineyards. He gives them all that they need. And what do they do? They forget God's commands. They abandon Him. They go and they do their own thing. They go out and they worship other gods. They go out and they intermingle with people from other religions. They go and they adopt foreign practices that are not ones that God has granted to them. They have forgotten that the Lord, their God, the Lord is one. They have forgotten the necessity of loving the Lord, their God, with all of their heart and their soul and their mind and the strength. And then they begin to forget that they shouldn't murder or commit adultery or bear false witness or covet their neighbor's things. They forget about honoring their parents and they forget that they shall not steal. And so God judges them. God judges them quickly. He judges them harshly. And in the end, they lose everything that He had promised them because they failed to be good stewards of His command. Friends, if you want to look around us at the churches that are in great decline, it is because they have forgotten the commands of God. And unfortunately, if you look around at us, at many of the churches that are booming, it's because they never knew the commands of God. Isn't it better than anything else that we decide in our heart that no matter what, we are going to be stewards, good stewards, of what God has commanded us? That, that no matter what we face, that no matter what is to come, that no matter what we have to go through, our first priority is going to be to be good stewards of what God has commanded. That we're going to, we're going to press them into our hearts we're going to fill our heart with what God has said. We're going to teach them diligently. We're going to put them into practice. 
We're going to have public expressions. We're going to talk about Him among each other. We're going to have conversations about God and who He is and what He has called us to do as His children. We're going to have them here in church. We're going to have them as we go out, as we're on our way in our homes. We're going to have them before we go to bed at night. We're going to have them before we uh, get up and start going in the mornings. Now, people are going to know, for better or for worse, that we believe in Christ. That we believe that He is the only free gift of salvation. That He is the only opportunity that people have to experience heaven and a relationship with God. And if they don't like us for that, that's fine. They didn't like Jesus either. But if we tell them that, and the Spirit of God works in their heart, they too can have that relationship. They too can be transferred from the domain of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Isn't that more important than anything else? Isn't that more important than the other conversations that we're having? Isn't that more important than being worried about someone not liking us or being uncomfortable around us because we believe in Christ? thinking last night you you see from time to time these people who have and i pray it's none of you have those coexist bumper stickers on their car and it's there's tons of theological things you could talk about there again our conversations being about god but the reality is that god has given us these commands to be good stewards of and those bumper stickers are a reminder. You may have never thought about this, but they're a reminder of the fact that there is only one place where all those religions, minus the one with the cross on it, will coexist. And that's in an eternity separated from God. It's only by people like us. I'm not saying, not, not other people. We don't want to talk about the church down the street. We don't talk about what, what they are doing or should be doing. Only us, you gathered here this morning who can hear this message. It is our responsibility to be good stewards of the commands of God in such a way as that we draw people toward the cross and away from an eternity separated from God. That we, through our words and through our actions, draw them toward the creator of the universe. Because if we do not, then they will remain in their sin and they will remain separated from Christ. Friends, they will have no hope. We are in an eternal battle even today. And we are so distracted from the fight that we have ahead of us. We are so prone to wander into other things that do not matter. But Christ has called upon us to take His commands and embrace them. And by doing so, we can see people come to know Him. We can see our lives transformed as we grow in our knowledge of Him and other people's lives transformed as they are drawn into a relationship with Him. This morning, are you being a good steward of the commands of God? Are they important to you? Not only in your mind, because we would all say that, right? We're church. I mean, you came to a 9 o'clock church service on a Sunday morning. There's there's at least some, some cognitive importance there. But has it been transferred to your heart and then out. Does it direct your life? Is it, is it important that you tell it to your children and those who work around you and that, you, that you're a good steward of the precious gift God's given you? That's where we want to be. We, we don't worry about what we did yesterday, but, but moving forward, do we be, are we going to be good stewards of God's commands? That's His calling for us this morning. Are we going to embrace it Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that you've called us out of our own captivity. You've delivered us from the bondage of sin. 
God, you've written our name. You've written our name in heaven. And God, you have sent your spirit to dwell into our hearts. God, let us therefore be good stewards of your commands. God, let us be good stewards of all, God, that you have called us to do. God, place your commands in our heart. God, help us. Help us as we, as we teach our children, as we go in day in, day out, as we live a public faith. God, help us not to get complacent in those times when you bless us, but God, only allow that to reaffirm our full dependence upon you. God, we are grateful. We are grateful that you love us, that you care for us. God, we're grateful that you have sent Christ and that in him we have life, in him we have hope. And God, I pray today that you would in our heart remind us, God, remind us of how good you are. Remind us, God, of our full reliance upon you. God, as we have this time of invitation, I pray that you'd speak to every heart. God, each person here is at a different place in their life. But God, you know where they're at. And I pray that even if it's in some small way, God, you would encourage them and help them to be a good steward even today. I've got all that you have commanded. God, help us. Help us to follow you faithfully and truly. God, help us to do so today. We pray in the precious name of your Son, Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song, a song of invitation. I invite you to respond to God's Word. And His response today is, as we go, to be a good steward of His commands. Now, some of you do not have a relationship with Christ. You've never trusted in Him. You've never followed Him. I want to invite you today that today is the day to know Christ. Today is the day to to follow Him, to turn from your sin, your disobedience toward Him, and, and, and follow Him. That's our first step of stewardship in what He has commanded us to do is to follow Him. None of the rest of it can work. You can't go and have a public display of faith that you don't have. It can't be in your heart when, when the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell there. You can't teach it to your children because you don't know it yourself. So if you do not know Him, today is the day to come and respond. Today is the day to know Christ. But friends, most of you have a relationship with Him. And so God's Word is called upon all of us today that when we leave here, we go... We go with His commands on our heart. They're they're displayed there. They're displayed in our life. They're displayed in the way that we teach our children. They're displayed in our reliance upon Him. If you know Him, friends, that's not the burden, but the blessing He's given you is to be a steward of His commands. As God speaks to you this morning, I pray that you respond as we sing together.